Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. morning, church. Our uh, scripture today is from Matthew 16, 21 through 28, and you can also find that on page 798 in your pew Bible. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, then let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what he has done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. No, the sermon title isn't about the fact that you showed up and Doc is not preaching. Um, But I am grateful for the opportunity to share your pulpit, Doc. Um, It's great to be with you all this morning and bring a word from Matthew 16. This is uh, one of those stories... um, that always has intrigued me and where I began was thinking about money back guarantees stay with me we've all heard of them right the money back guarantee of course you may have even taken a company up on one before But did you know the origins of the money-back guarantee can actually be traced all the way back to 1868 when door-to-door salesman J.R. Watkins offered customers a full refund of the purchase price of his home-cooked natural natural remedies. Um, If they didn't like the product, he would refund their money. And according to historical resources, Watkins offered the guarantee to fight against the fact that he was not a part of the market. His product was totally unknown, and he was trying to break in. What thousands of other businesses have since discovered is that the money-back guarantee reduces the risk, the perceived risk of a product, and really rarely ever invoked by a customer. Today, thousands of businesses across every industry 
use money-back guarantees. There's a bike company called 630. It's one example. It offers a 365-day money-back guarantee. If you're a customer of a 630 bike, you can test drive it for an entire year, and if you're not fully satisfied, they will even comp the shipping back. Now, we're Baptists. My next example is only an example. Another popular example is Heineken. (laughs) Spokesman Neil Patrick Harris famously and publicly offered a money-back guarantee to all customers in the company's 2015 television campaign, and it was not a stunt. The thing about money-back guarantees is you can test drive the bike or sleep on the mattress for a while, and if you don't like it, if it doesn't work out, just turn it back in and get all your investment back. No commitment. No big deal. But that's not discipleship, is it? The truth is, you can know The gospel is rarely filled with easy or convenient. You can know that the gospel call is sacrificial. And you can know that the gospel call is never the first, is never me first, and it's never filled with power-hungry future. The gospel call is other-focused first. I'm so grateful to David for reading this good scripture this morning. And it's this story of Jesus teaching the disciples about his turn to Jerusalem. We remember that this turn to Jerusalem was a description of the beginning of the end. This path was not going to be paved. It was going to be a struggle. And Peter, hearing this, is, is troubled, right? He, he brings up uh, this fact that what he has envisioned for Christ and what Jesus is talking about, they just aren't lining up. And so the place we find ourselves this morning recalls some of those teachings that the disciples find hard to swallow. A few verses earlier, before we find ourselves, I think in 13, Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And this elicits a blessing from Jesus. Then, in verse 20, a stern warning from Jesus echoes in their ears. He says, don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. But why? Maybe this urge of Jesus to keep things quiet is because he's about to shatter their image of what Messiah means and what the Messiah was meant to do. What Jesus begins here in verse 21 is a pulling apart of the disciples' expectations of what kind of Messiah Jesus will be. That's why Peter has this response. Jesus tells them that Death, not glory, will be following them. 
shadowing them all the way to Jerusalem. And we know that Jerusalem is where the final confrontation of Jesus' life and ministry occurs. It occurs on the cross. What's ahead is not a throne, but a cross. There won't be an army of admirers ready to make Jesus their king. Instead, a mocking mob calling for his death. You can see the fear and hesitation, the confusion in Peter's response, can't you? He's responding to Jesus' teaching about his movement toward Jerusalem, and the information Jesus is sharing is just too much. So Peter's first reaction as the leader of the future church is to say no to Jesus. Can we remember a time in our own life Maybe when, uh, not in our own life, but can you remember a time from Scripture when Jesus might have dealt with some of this own angst on, on the inside? Maybe the time when Jesus spent time in the wilderness saying no to the temptation of imperial power. Can you remember that wilderness journey? All the kingdoms of this world and their splendor were offered to Jesus in the wilderness. They were here for his taking if Jesus would just bow down, not to God's way, but to whose? Satan's. And so now we find Peter pulling Jesus aside to give him some practical advice. But Jesus thinks, ah, I might have heard this before. And responds with such force that Peter has to step back. He actually calls Peter, Satan, a stumbling block who's impeding progress for the kingdom. What's interesting is the same way Jesus speaks to Peter is the same phrase, follow me. The translation here is get thee behind me, Satan, but it's follow me. Peter responds to Jesus' description out of uncertainty and fear. He's scared. He's tried the mattress out for a little while. He's like, wait a minute. This is not what I purchased. This is not what I signed on for. And let's face it. Fear is often a powerful force in our life, isn't it? I heard a story about a town where where the thing everyone feared The most was getting lost at night in a place called the Cave of Fear. No one had ever returned from that cave. And whenever anyone got lost and ended ended up in the cave, the last thing that people heard was a great cry of terror, followed by a few loud and boisterous laughs. The townsfolk lived in terror that one day the monster would leave the cave, come to town. So they regularly left gifts of food in the mouth of the cave, and the gifts always disappeared. One day, a young man came to town. He was new, and as he heard about the situation with the cave, he thought that wasn't really fair, so he decided to enter the cave, confront the monster. He was going to be the problem solver. The young man asked for some help, but everybody in the town was too afraid. 
and not one single person approached the mouth of the cave with him. But he went inside anyway, finding his way with a torch and calling out to the monster, wanting to discuss the situation. At first, the monster had a good uh, long laugh, and the young man followed the sound of the laughter of the voice. But then the monster grew quiet. The young man had to carry on, not knowing which direction to turn. Finally, he arrived at a huge cavern. At the bottom of the cavern, he thought uh, he could make it out a figure of the monster. And as he approached it, he felt something hit him hard on his back. It pushed him forward to a hole in the rock. He couldn't avoid it, and he fell through. He couldn't believe what was happening. He thought he was about to die. He let out one last cry, and then he heard great laughter. I think the monster has swallowed me, he said, while falling. However, as he fell, he heard music and voices. The sounds got clearer, and when he made a soft landing at the bottom, he heard a group of people shout, Surprise! Hardly believing it, he found himself right in the middle of a huge party. The party goers were all those people who had never returned to the town. They explained to him that this place had been the idea of the old mayor of the town. That mayor had tried to accomplish great things, but was always held back by the fears of the people around him. So the mayor invented the story of the monster to demonstrate to people how such an attitude was so limiting, so small. So the young man stayed there, enjoying the party and the company of all of those who had dared to approach the cave. James Finley says, Jesus invites us to discover that our fear is woven into God's own life, whose life is mysteriously woven into all the scary things that can and do happen to us as human beings together on this earth. You see, just like Peter, what Jesus says might not be what we're expecting And even Peter, who has confessed Jesus as the Messiah, has concerns about what seems to be happening, we may as well. We might start to wonder if we can just go backwards to a time that was a little easier. We've got to make sure that saying no to the way of Jesus doesn't become a habit for our life, for our living. Saying no out of a fear of what Jesus might be calling us to. Too often when Jesus says cross, we vote crown. But we must consider the ways we stand in the way of Jesus calling into and through us. What we're saying What are we saying no to? What are we fighting against that might fill us with fear? But is God's will for our life right now? Jesus gives clear direction. 
If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? This clear but challenging call to discipleship is the narrow path that Jesus is walking. It's a Jerusalem journey of sorts, isn't it? These clear directions are not easy to follow, though. In fact, Richard Rohr says this about discipleship. Jesus' counterintuitive message of the cross had to be sent to earth as a dramatic and divine zinger. Because God knew we would do everything we could to deny it, to avoid it, to soften it, even to make it into just a theory. Yet this is the the Jesus message that cannot and must not be allowed to be pushed into the background. The message of the cross is self-denial. But what does self-denial really mean? If we leave this idea abstract, it can be trouble. Because the text in Matthew isn't really that descriptive, is it? These verses become wide open for misinterpretation if we're not careful. Self-denial certainly does not mean remaining in an abusive relationship and courageously touting it as one's cross to bear. Self-denial does not mean hiding out from life's joys, blessings, and responsibility, enclosing yourself in self-righteousness and calling that self-sacrifice. Self-denial doesn't mean becoming a doormat and playing the victim card. The message of the cross of self-denial is explained well by Paul in Romans 12, 9 through 21. Paul offers a long list of virtues that depict and give us a great image of what cross-bearing looks like. I think in in the most clear sense. The list is filled with actions and attitudes that make life full and meaningful. Genuine love for others. Tenacious good, uh, goodness and perseverance. Even as evil approaches. And that's hard to hold on to. It describes patience in suffering. Blessing even those who persecute cultivating empathy, and rejecting opportunities for retribution, and so much more. The list Paul provides just exudes divine purpose and calling. During World War II, St. Maximilian Kolbe, a Catholic priest, was captured and eventually taken to Auschwitz. There he was a source of comfort and strength for his fellow prisoners, in the daily hardships and horrors each of them faced. His faith and leadership and prayer calmed them and provided a sense of hope, even in their cooperative darkness. Three months into his stay at camp, his leadership eventually 
culminated into an outstanding act of sacrificial living. To make an example of a prisoner who had escaped from the barracks, the guards picked ten prisoners at random for starvation and execution. One of the chosen prisoners broke down in tears and protested that his family deeply needed him for support. Moved with love and pity for the stranger, Colby stepped forward, and while his his exact words may not be known, they can be paraphrased as, I am a Catholic priest from Poland. Take me instead as this man has a family. He proceeded to give his life over to take the place for this stranger whom he had never met. When Colby was put in his cell to be starved with the other prisoners, he was heard leading them in prayer and hymns each day. And while the other prisoners gradually died of starvation, Colby did not, even after a couple of weeks. The story goes that the guards wanted the cells cleared and were irritated that he was somehow beating death. And as a result, they injected him with a lethal dose of carbolic acid. He died on August the 14th of 41, and Pope John Paul II canonized him in 1982. You see, this act of sacrifice was rooted in the kind of love that Christ is calling us to in this text. I love this quote from the late Maya Angelou. She said, I'm grateful to have been loved and to be able to love because that liberates love liberates it doesn't just hold that's ego love liberates it does not bind so the question we have today is how do we deny self pick up this cross life and follow Christ How do we live out that kind of love, that love that liberates? How might each of us immediately recognize how the Son of Man coming in his kingdom occurs in great and small ways in our life today? These are questions each of us must answer. Knowing that Christ and what Christ calls us to might cause us to want to ask for a refund because this way the way of the cross is not easy living but the promise of an assured future by God's Messiah gives us strength the promise of an assured future through Christ moves us towards a hopeful future when our present troubles engulf us after all Jesus has already walked the path before us. He's conquered death. Jesus knows all too well rejection and loathing. He has gone before us. Now it's our turn to decide. So, I'll leave you with this. Do you want to ask for a refund? Or will you choose this week to deny self Pick up this cross life and follow Jesus in faith.
Will you pray with me? God of cross living, God who walks forward no matter what. We give you thanks and praise for all that you are and have been in our life. We pray for the courage to step out in faith this week, to live into this calling that you have given us, to choose cross instead of crown. We pray that we would live love like my Angelou professed, a love that liberates and does not hold. And Lord, help us with our steps. Guide us this week so that we might live called out as your disciples, reflecting your love and serving those we meet this week. We pray all of this, strong and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Our hymn of response is number 255, We Are God's People. Whatever you heard this morning, if you've got a decision you've made and you want to share it with Doc, he'll be down front. If you have uh, interest in joining this community of faith and walking alongside us as we seek the cross life together, he'll be down front. Whatever your decision, please stand and join us as we sing. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.